Okay. You don't have to be lonely at farmersonly.com. Uh, this is uh, welcome to the third talk from uh, Renovate, uh, which was on intimacy and uh, its importance in the spiritual life uh, and in being free. And so I pick up, um, the way I did this was I, I segued from Brian's uh, talk on the spiritual battle by saying that the spiritual battle is uh, the battle for your whole self. It's the battle for mind, body, soul. But that firstly and crucially, it is a battle for the heart. And so I uh, then begin to talk about the heart. The heart determines the direction of your life. The heart determines the direction of your worship. Um, the heart direct uh, determines the direction of your relationships, of how your marriage goes, of how your family goes, how your friendships go. Um, and all the relationships in your life, your, your heart and the health of your heart um, determines... All of those things. So the chief battle, the first battle, um, in the in the person, is uh, for the heart. And then I say that the uh, the heart is like the Omaha Beach of the war of your life. You know, take the beach, win the war. Um, and then I say, uh, we were made for intimacy with God and with one another. We were made to feel and to connect and to be in relationship. We were made to, to know and be known with God and other people. And Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And the second is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that the enemy has been trying your whole life to stop you doing just that. This is what the enemy has been trying to do, to stop you loving God, loving your neighbor, and loving yourself. Um, and so that's how I kick it off. And then uh, straight away I move into uh, talking about the heart a bit more fully. So explaining what, what do we mean by heart. Okay, so of course we think of emotions and feelings, but the biblical concept of heart is, is deeper than that. The heart is the center of your feelings and emotions, but is also the center of your will. Um, it's where you desire. It is uh, your your will to, to do anything. It comes from your heart. And it also includes uh, your instincts. So um, it's kind of what we would term, uh, in English, we would, we would term it guts. You know, that guy's got guts. Or that took guts to do that. Or I've got a gut feeling that blah, blah, blah. And so this idea of um, heart in, is kind of like our Western idea of heart and our Western idea of guts put together. And it's really about the center and core of a person. Um, more than just one element of a person, it is regarded as the center and the core. And so the battle for your heart is a battle for intimacy. And so then I move into talking about intimacy. And I talk about that even the word intimacy can be difficult for us in the context of God and even often in our relationships too. Um, and I talk a little bit about it being particularly difficult for men, but I think most of this applies for women too. Um, uh, and that intimacy is the right word and intimacy is the right goal. 
um, connection is not enough because connection does not allow for proximity. You can be connected but distant. Um, closeness is a better term, but closeness can speak of proximity but doesn't speak of the quality of a relationship. And that's why intimacy is the right word because it, it expresses connection, it expresses closeness, and it expresses sweetness. You know, the quality of a relationship is in intimacy. Um, and then I talk about because of our screwed up culture um, and the world we've grown up in, we kind of uh, associate intimacy particularly with with lust and romantic love. And so sex and um, romantic relationships. Um, but intimacy is not reserved for for those kind of relationships. Intimacy needs to be present in every relationship. And so then I talk about, uh, and then I shift from there to talk about uh, how we like to present to the world that we're fine. And what we want to do is we want to present to the world that we have our feelings somewhat intact, that we we are together, that we are competent, um, adult, uh, well-adjusted, um, normal people, that we're fine, you know, we are fine. And so uh, because we want to present this to the world, eventually we can, we can often believe the lie that that's true, that we are totally well-adjusted and we are fine. And we can think, well, because my life is not a visible mess, I must be okay. I must be doing fine. I must be doing something right because um, my life isn't chaos, you know, or visibly chaos, even though it can be connect, uh, pretty chaotic under the surface. And so then I talk about how, you know, I've been in churches like RCC for over 20 years and um, churches that place a high value on inner healing. Okay, so through my whole um, teenage years and twenties, uh, uh, um, people would ask, you know, you know, do you want to go to, for prayer counselling? You should go for inner healing. And my response would always be, No, I'm fine. You know, I had a good childhood. Um, I felt loved. I don't have major issues. You know, there's stuff in my life, but I'm but I'm fine. You know, um, and then in the talk, I was saying. Yeah, David, you're fine. That's why you have this constant need to prove yourself. Or, David, you're fine. Yeah, of course you're fine. That's why you never ask anyone for help ever. Because you're fine, you know. Yeah, you, you have no problems. That's why you, you can't ever ask anyone for advice. Because you're fine. Um, you know, I'm trying to draw out the... Sarcastically and ironically trying to draw that out. Um, that, no, I'm not fine. And so then I I begin to explain why I thought it was fine. And it was fine because um, I did not I was not aware to the extent that my heart was closed and I wasn't honest with myself. So um, because my parents loved me and because I had a stable home growing up, and that I can I can from my childhood I can count on one hand the amount of times that my parents hurt me, you know, like did. Uh, things or said things that really hurt, you know, and um, there just aren't many occasions in my early childhood where I, I really got hurt. And so I kind of felt like I didn't really need any kind of inner healing or that my feelings were fine. 
And so then I talk about, and this is because, like, in our lives, we have we have a good sense of how we've been hurt or how we've been offended, how we've been abused or crushed. Okay, and so all of us can point to to the moments in our life where we've been hurt, offended, abused, crushed. But what it's very hard to do is to recognize the way we've been neglected. And uh, neglect is something that's a lot harder to pinpoint than than hurt. And neglect is the love that we should have received but didn't. And it's hard for us to, to see that because we never had it. You know, it's by definition something you never had. And so it's very hard to see what you didn't have. You only really see it by other experiences. You kind of only see it from outside of yourself. Um, and so when I became a parent, I began to see how it worked because I found it and continue to find it the most easy and natural thing in the world to love my kids. Loving your kids is one of the most automatic responses, most natural responses that um, human beings have. But what I found really difficult and I continue to find difficult is to work out how to love them. You know, I know I love them. It's that's just easy and obvious. But how to love them, and how to love them in a way, in the ways that they need, is much much harder and, and difficult. So, I then talk about so every bedtime that you miss as a parent, or every time they come to uh, talk to you and you're paying more attention to your phone, every time you respond with a an impatient interaction, uh, you know, uh, an impatient reaction. You know, you realize how hard it is to give a child what they really need. And every parent falls short of that. And you do your best and you get better and you learn some lessons. But no matter how hard you try, you cannot meet their every emotional need. And only the father can give them the love that they need. And only the father can give us the love that we need. And so every one of us will have known neglect from our parents or from our siblings or from our spouse, from our children, from our heroes, people we admire. And uh, we've all been neglected by people that we wanted love from or needed love from um, because people are human. And uh, no one loves perfectly apart from the Father. And, uh, and often we don't want to admit that those people have neglected us because we love them. You know, because we love our parents, because we love our spouse or our children or um, our heroes, people we admire, we, uh, we don't want to admit that those people neglected us. Um, because we want to think best of them and we want to think, um, you know, we put them on pedestals or whatever. And so we, we often don't admit that, that we, we've experienced neglect to our hearts. And yet this unintentional neglect that we experience is actually what hardens our hearts And we, because we learn to live without love. We learn to live without experiencing and, and uh, love flowing to us and through us. And so that's how our hearts become like stone. You know, they become hardened. And um, and as our, as we become, as we learn to live without love, we uh, it becomes harder and harder for us to love others. But God has another plan. And so then I uh, talk about, I get to the Bible, and I talk about Ezekiel 36, um, where it says, uh, 36, 26. Where it says, I will give you a new heart and I uh, will put a new spirit in you and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And so I say there is hope even for the hardest heart that no matter how dried up and shriveled it 
it, it can become, no matter how closed it can be to being loved, no matter how cold and lifeless it can seem, no, how, no matter how apathetic you can be, you know, God will give you a new heart if you let him. And so, and then I start talking about my story, okay? And so then, uh, this is where I shift. And so I did the, you know, I did the whole hour when I did this talk. And so I, that first bit probably took about 20 minutes. And then I spend the next 20 minutes telling some of my story. And then, you know, another 10 minutes at the end. So this is the bit where I talk about my story. And so then I'm talking about how I'm just realizing the ways that I didn't receive love as a child. And then I talk about my father and um and what he was like as a my memories of him as a child and my memories of him how he loved or really didn't know how to love and then i go on to talk about the more recent years and uh my dad being publicly shamed losing his job um going through a mental breakdown uh getting my parents getting divorced um because of the shame that my dad put my mother through and my sister and and my and me and so then I talk about um how that all fell apart and so that's a long story um lots of detail um and so then I end up at the end of all this when I've gone through the whole thing and I've got to where my parents divorced and all the shame that I felt and just how devastated my my father was and you know, how he was in hospital for three months in the mental institute. Uh, and so I get to the end of this, okay, and where I say, I talk about how I was crushed and I felt, you know, ashamed and isolated because of what my dad had done and uh, what he put my family through. And uh, this was only a few years ago. This was in 2012. And so then I get to the point where I say, this is how I felt at the end of this, is that I felt overwhelmed. Because where I was at was that I had become, I had my father who was crushed, my mother who was crushed and alone, and my my sister who was also crushed and alone. And so um, they all looked to me for help and support and comfort, uh, and that overwhelmed me. But not just that, it was everything else as well. So at the same point as that was happening, my, uh, my brother-in-law... Um, was an alcoholic and was going through rehab and had just become a Christian and uh, needed my help and support as the only other Christian male in the family and so really needed my help and uh, advice and was really struggling through things uh, and then um, I had a couple of friends who got divorced, good friends and so they were processing and talking about their pain and you know, I'd Skype and FaceTime with them as well as everyone else and then on top of all that I had four boys at home who um were just uh have an infinite amount of need and um and of father's attention you know like they they there's just nothing i could do to meet their every emotional need it's you know it's endless uh, and then I have a wife who's managing all that and who lives 4,000 miles away from any family, you know, who also feels alone and isolated. And so I'm trying to be um, the husband f for her that she needs and support her. And, and, so that, and then on top of all that, my job is to work at River City Church and to help people. And lots of people at church want my help and advice, my love, my attention, my comfort, my affirmation. And so I... Th I 
the place I'd got to was that I felt like every relationship I had was pretty much a one-way street where everyone needed more from me than I could give them when everyone needed more from me than they were giving back to me. And so um, I felt like every every relationship was pretty one-way and that I didn't have anyone in my life or very... I had no one in my life that either knew how to love me or had the energy to do that. So, you know, I had Emily who knew how to love me, but she didn't have the energy to do so. So it was like I had um, everyone uh, just needed from me. And so it felt like everyone needed me. And so then I get to this point where I explain that, and that's where I was at at the end of this. And then I say, um, but then what happened, what changed was that I heard the voice of God. And, uh, and when I was in that place, God spoke to me and he said, um, he said, David, come to me, come to me because I don't need you. Um, I am God and I don't need you. I don't need your help. I'm God. I don't need your advice because I'm God. I don't need your comfort. I am God. You know, I don't need you. And how that was just incredibly releasing. And then I felt him say, you know, I don't need you, I want you. And I want to make your heart of stone, heart of flesh again. And and that's what he did. And so then I talk about Song of Songs and this verse that stood out to me. And I got everyone to repeat it. I got all the guys in the room to, re- to repeat this verse after me. Which was Song of Songs, um, chapter 7, verse 10, where it says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. And so I got everyone to say that. I was pretty emotional at that point because the details of my father's story are so um, quite powerful. And so then I get to this point where then I then start to talk about the father and say um, that he is the perfect father and he knows exactly what you need. He's the perfect father and he knows exactly what to say. He will take your heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. You know, he will... He will do that. And because of our experiences with our fathers, we can have some jacked up ideas about who God is and what he's like as a father, like, you know, he's distant or that he's indifferent to our pain or that he's disappointed in us or he's angry or he's untrustworthy or lots of other things. Uh, uh, But they're often things we believe about God because that's what we've experienced in our fathers. And so then I talk about what the father's really like and I... I quote Jeremiah thirty-one three, which says, I have loved you with an everlasting love and have drawn you, made you, shaped you with an unfailing kindness. And then I talk about Zephaniah 3.17 and uh, quote that, The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness and he will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And so then I just start talking about this, that God has made you with an everlasting kindness. God has made you of everlasting love and that he sings over you. It's his joy and his delight to sing over you. This is who our Father is. He sings over us. Uh, it's a beautiful uh, picture from Scripture. And, and so then I talk about, talk about a picture I had where I saw this picture of a huge library of books in heaven. And the Father's there. And as he goes to, to the library, each each book isn't got a name on it. And uh, these books aren't just books, they're, they're hymn books, they're like song books, hymns. And I had a picture of being in this library and the Lord going over to the book that said David and uh, pulling it down and then him just going through um, this hymn book and singing those the songs that he's written for me, um, over me, 
you know, David, my precious. Talk about that picture I had, and this is who our Father is, is that he sings over us, that he is love and he is kindness. His holiness is not compromised by his love, and his righteousness is not contaminated by his kindness. Everything works perfectly together. And then so I, I then begin to explain a little bit about how um, we can read verses like Isaiah 55 where it says as high as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts and we can think that what that means is that God is so beyond us that you know because he's so holy he's untouchable or because he's so holy he's be he you know it's his holiness and his power and his righteousness that uh, makes him different to us and I'm saying that that is not the context of this verse, that the context of this verse is mercy, where it says in just the verse before, it says, let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God he will freely pardon. And that's why as high as the heavens are above the earth, his ways are above our ways and thoughts above our thoughts. It's because of his mercy, that's why he's different to us. You know, that's the way God is most different to humans, is that he's merciful in ways that we aren't that he is merciful to us in ways that we would not be merciful to ourselves. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Um, mercy and kindness, that is how he's most different to us. And so then, I've pretty much finished at that point, and so then to lead it into the small group, I've said, as, as we look to share tonight, as we, and as you know, we're in the process of writing our stories down, we have to remember this truth, that it is his mercy that opens our hearts, that it is it is his kindness that allows us to feel. It is it is his love that allows us to know him and be known. And it's his kindness that allows us to be honest and truthful with one another. Uh, and I remind uh, everyone that his kindness leads us to repentance. And so uh, my encouragement is to let his kindness, let the Father's kindness speak to us and uh, to lead us and to give us hearts of flesh. And uh, and how that's important to share in our groups, in order to share truthfully and and and, uh, and really with our brothers that we need to to know the kindness of the Lord. It's not just about honesty; it's about kindness. So that's where I wrapped up. I think. Yeah, and that all took about an hour. But it was really quite amazing. Uh, yeah, should have been there. You missed out, really. But you're ladies, so you can go. I'm sure whoever does a talk of intimacy will be fine. Just share all your pain, and uh, you'll be good. All right. Bye. <laughs>